mid-80s, there was a, um, a person named Rory Sparrow that played for the Chicago Bulls. Of course, nobody in this room would remember him. He was a fringe player at best. Never started, maybe the 12th man. And one day, I heard him talking on television, they interviewed him. And uh, somebody said, what are you going to do after basketball or something? And he said, I'm going to do the same thing I do now. I enhance the quality of lives of others. And if it's through playing basketball, then I play basketball. And if it's serving food, then I serve food. And that's how he viewed it. He saw himself playing basketball as the fans would come out and he'd give them two and a half hours of enjoyment. He was enhancing the quality of their lives. And as a young man, I didn't know where I was going in life, and that kind of hit a chord in me. And I said, I don't know what path I'm going to go down, but no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to enhance the quality of lives of others. So that was mid-'80s. Fast forward up until about two years ago. Through the magic of social media, uh, and more specifically Facebook, uh, you run into old friends, you, you reunite, and I, I ran across an old friend that I went to church with when I was uh, a kid. And, and in talking to her, she just got married, and this was going to be their first Christmas. And I said, oh, what are you going to get your, your new husband for Christmas? And she said, well, he's got a big record collection, 400 records. I'm like, wow. She said, uh, but they're in boxes, so I'm going to buy a shelving unit. And I'm thinking, wow, that's going to have to be a heck of a shelving unit. That's heavy. And she said, but I'm going to have to save up my money because I, uh, I don't have a lot of money, and I'm probably not going to be able to get it to them until February instead of Christmas, and I'm probably going to have to go to Ikea and buy it. And I said, oh, oh no, that's, that's not going to happen. I said, I, I can make you one. Not only can I make you one, I can make you one that is way cooler than anything you could ever buy. I can make you one that, that will be the finest piece of furniture that you own, and it'll have a story to it. And she said, well, I don't have a lot of money. I said, well, we'll discuss that later. But there's one catch. I don't make it alone. You have to do it with me. So, and I told her it would have a story. So I went to a rebuilder's exchange and I picked up some lumber that was reclaimed from the CTA stop that used to be at uh, Wabash and Madison. They just tore it down. So, you know, there's a little bit of history in every board there. Imagine that was built in 1908. And I'm thinking of all the people who walked across and what have you. So we got the lumber and I went to the steel store, bought some steel, and I started welding up an urban industrial design shelving unit. And... Uh, what I had her doing was sanding down the wood, finishing it. It was gouged up and nasty, but it was strong, and, and I thought all the imperfections of it were the beautiful part of it. And I used rebar, what they put in concrete, to uh, in part of the structure that I made that I welded together. And I finished it up, brought it to her house, set it up. Her husband came home, and he couldn't believe how beautiful this thing was. It was the coolest thing he owned. <laughs> he put all his records on it, and at the ends of the records, so that they didn't fall over, somewhere along the way, I acquired some railroad track, and I was able to cut sections of it. And so it's pretty heavy, so he used them as almost like bookends, but for albums, and, and the albums couldn't move them. So then it came down to her paying me, and she said, well, 
how much do I owe you? And I said, no, no, it's not how much you owe me. What do you owe me? I said, this isn't money. I know you don't have much of that, so I'm not going to ask for that. I said, but in, in our conversations of working on this, at one point we talked about wine. And so if you listened, you would know what kind of wine I liked. So what I'd like you to do as payment is go and buy me a bottle of wine that you think that I would like. Put some thought into it. You know, there was nothing monetary. I mean, yeah, she did. I doubt she stole the wine. <laughs> but my thinking was, I, I couldn't give it to her and say, here, because then, you know, she might have felt awkward. There had to be something, and I didn't want her money. It wasn't about, it was never about the money. Think about how I enhanced the quality of her life and her husband's life. And she did bring back a bottle of wine, and we did drink the wine. <laughs> so, um, what makes, what the part I'm talking about is, um, to me, it was art. I'm an artist. But to me, art has to have purpose. Um, although I like to draw, I like to paint. Um, I like art that functions, that has, it, it, it has to have, it has to be useful. Hanging something on the wall on the first day, you, it's beautiful and you love it. But after a while, all you end up doing is dusting it. So go back to the shelving unit. To me, that was a piece of art. It stirred emotion. And that's the definition of art. It stirs emotion. So when people ask me, when they see that I did something, and they say, wow, can you do that for me? I said, I tell them all the same thing. Absolutely not. But I can show you how. Because that way, it's yours. If I made it for you and you wrote me a check, yeah, it's yours. But no, everything had to have a story like the shelving unit. That woman worked on it. She could say it was actually hers. Wheels for Prosper. So um, a number of years ago, some, some people, some friends of mine were sitting around at a convention, and we, uh, they were talking about um, owning an auto repair shop. Occasionally we get cars that are just, they're dead. They're not going to see the road again, and usually you never see the car owner again either. <laughs> you know, the, the engine's blown up, and these people bail, and you're like, what are we going to do with these orphans? You know, like, this is a, the car orphan. So, uh, in the discussion, they said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we were able to partner up with our technicians who can do the labor and the suppliers who can supply us parts? And perhaps we can refurbish these cars, bring them back to life, keep them out of the junkyard, and then give them away to a deserving person. Not a wanting person, not give me, give me, a deserving person. And that's the person who maybe fell on hard times, but never gave up. Maybe they just need a boost. And maybe we would have such a positive impact on somebody's life who could then go out and change other people's lives. And so the program started, and it's called Wheels to Prosper, and it started with one car. And today it's, um, I want to say, in about 25 different states. All shop owners that I know, I've given away six cars myself. And uh, to me, it's like Christmas. 
How do you select the person who gets the car? That's the hard part. <laughs> the car is the easy part. So the person that is deserving is not the person that's going to go around saying, woe is me, look, I need a car. They don't do that. Uh, so they're difficult to find. So we ask people to nominate somebody. You know, because everyone knows somebody that maybe doesn't speak up, but you know them well enough. It could be a friend, you know, relative. And you nominate them. You write a story on why they're deserving. And then I put together a committee. Because if, to me, if I read all these letters, I want to give them all a car. You know, I mean, every one of them is, is uh, you know, heart-wrenching. So I put together a committee, and we, uh, we get together and we decide who gets the car. And then we surprise them with a car. My business um, is general uh, auto repair. It's mechanical. I don't do any body work. So it's um, undercar, brake, suspension, engine, computer, oil changes, anything other than body work. Glass work, we'll do glass, we do all that. We don't do body work. It's right here in Edison Park, uh, like six, eight blocks away is the crow flies. Echo Automotive. <laughs> I'm an artist, okay. So um, what I've done with my, with my shop is uh, the second floor of my, okay, I own the building, and I just recently purchased the building behind me to expand the shop. And so I was able to reconfigure the layout. Uh, my whole second floor I've turned into an art gallery. So I used to be where we had all our inventory and our equipment, and we ran it up and down on dumbwaiters. It was um, not the most efficient way of doing it, but you work with the room you get. You, you figure out how you can work. And so when I purchased the building behind me, we no longer had to do that. We had, now we have floor space. We have production area. And so we were able to move all the equipment inventory. We'll take it all down. And the second floor was open. And I said, well, let's have an art gallery. So the second floor of my uh, business is art, and I mean, I, I want people to come and appreciate the art. Um, I mean, I enjoy it, I hope it inspires people, and all of it is made possible through my auto repair shop. You know, so if people appreciate the art, I would appreciate them as customers. <laughs> I'd really love them as customers. <laughs> it's not all mine. You know, I have a couple pieces up there, but I have local artists that bring in pieces and, uh, you know, mostly paintings, uh, drawings, photography, wall hangings. You know, there's not a lot of installation, uh, you know, installation being statues, things like this. Um, so, yeah, it, I'm sure it's all for sale, you know. Um, yeah. People come in and, and buy. What kind of art do you do? I, my favorite is working with metal, uh, cutting, welding, fabricating. Um, in my art gallery, I have an eight-foot steel palm tree that I made. So uh, I kind of like that. So that's what you do. You sort of sculpt in metal. I, I like to work with metal, yes. I like to, uh, I don't, I keep, every time I do a project like that and I go to pick it up and I realize how heavy it is, I just think, I wish I was a painter. <laughs> Brushes are so much lighter. <laughs> Art is funny. Uh, it's extremely subjective. And I think to be a true uh, artist is a balance of um, 
total narcissist and self-deprecation. <laughs> you have to sort that one out. <laughs> Where do you get your parts for rebuild? Oh, wait, he's not done with this question, sir. Let so, finish. Um, artists are funny, too, because they're so, they're so difficult and hard on themselves. You know, if you tell them, oh, I don't like that, they, oh, no, I don't like that. And anything I do, if somebody says, well, I don't like it, I tell them, well, then move out of the way because somebody behind you might. <laughs> it's subjective. And if it's, it's art is seen, uh, what I do, whether you like it or not, doesn't re really reflect what I do. What I do is what I do. How you see it, well, that's on you. So if you don't like my art, it's not insulting to me. Just get out of the way. Find stuff you like. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm pretty thick-skinned. This is the most beautiful piece I ever did. Oh, my God. Move the Mona Lisa out of the way. Put this up there. And the first person that comes by and goes, that's stupid. Ah, horrible. And you burn it. You know, it's, uh, I don't know why they do that. You know, so how you see somebody else's art um, is about you. It's not about their art. Uh, I know when it comes to drawings that my... Uh, skills are limited, so m most of mine is kind of um, caricatures. So they're, they're disproportioned, things like this. I'd imagine if I ever drew Jesus, people might be offended. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's just how I draw. You know, he might have a, a triangle head that's rather large. Right, it's what I see, and then people would be offended. I'm like, no. <laughs> so you got another Picasso. I, you know, he had his style, I got mine. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to criticize him. I doubt he's criticizing me. <laughs> Any other questions?